Inside is life, outside is death. Inside is blessing, outside is cursing. God has extended an invitation to you, and that was the invitation that I extended to you in week one when we said, let's be prepared, let's accept the invitation to live within the fence of God's favor, and we took all of that out of the book of Leviticus. Now, last weekend, our word was transformation. We moved from preparation to transformation. And the Bible said that we looked at it last week. The Bible says be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And again, here's the thing we have to understand that the Bible does. The Word of God challenges us as a follower of Jesus Christ to start to think differently as it relates to money, to think what I call counterintuitively when it talks about finances and money in our lives. And again, if you were here last weekend, then you know that we applied the teaching of Jesus, and the teaching of Jesus that we applied was where Jesus says, you are more blessed when you give than when you receive. So today, as we close out this series of messages, I want to move from preparation and transformation to the word prioritization. In other words, I'm asking you the question, those watching, listening online, how do you prioritize your money? How do you prioritize your finances? I mean, think about that. How, how, what, what's the priority in your life? Or maybe there's another way to say it. Maybe the other way to say it is this. What comes first in your budget? Because, see, here's the thing. Every time you get paid, every time you have some sort of income that comes your way, Every time you have some type of windfall, maybe you sell something and, and you make a big profit, God is giving you a test. Every time your employer deposits your check or gives you a check and you have the opportunity to cash a check, every time you experience a, a capital gain, every time there's income or a windfall that comes your way, what I want you to hear me say is because this is what Scripture says, God is giving you a test. And I know many of us don't like tests because we can think back to school when we would come into school and the teacher would say, I hope you're ready. And we say, ready for what? We just wanted to have a good time, right? And, and the teacher would say, I hope you're ready. And you say, ready for what? We're ready for a test. Well, what test? I didn't know there was going to be a test. Well, that's again, the, you're the same people who were telling me how glad you were that you were in the top 10% or the lower third of your class. You see, that's because you weren't prepared for the test when you got to school that day. Now, when it comes to money, there are really only five things that you can do with money. And I'm going to show you these things. And again, take a, take a picture with your camera if you would rather do that instead of take notes. But again, you're going to see it in front of me, uh, in front of you, behind me. And the five things that you can do with money, these are the five things, and it applies to all of us, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Here are the five things. You can spend it. You can go out to eat. You can make car payments. You can do things like that. You can pay debt. Really, really, that's more like the car payments. You pay debt on something that you've already bought. You can spend it. You can pay debt. You can pay taxes. You're obligated to pay taxes to Uncle Sam. You can save some, and then you can give some. Those are the five things that you can do with money. And not only are those the five things that you can do with money, 
But the way I see it in looking at your life and my life, that is the exact order in which most of us handle our money. That's the exact order of our financial priorities. We spend, and then we pay debt on things that we have already spent, and then we pay taxes because why do we pay taxes? Because we don't want to go to jail. And then maybe we save something, and then if anything might be left over, we might give that away to other people or to God. So, as a result, God, who is the owner of it all. Now, see, that's a hurdle for some of you. It's not yours. So God, who is the owner of it all, God who gives us everything that we have, look behind me, he ends up coming last as it relates to our financial priorities. You saw it, spend, pay debt, pay taxes, save, and give. And again, this isn't meant to make you feel guilty. Because here's what, here's what I want you to hear me say. In one way or another, all of us in this room, all of you watching online, this is exactly the way that we've lived our life. This is exactly the way that in, in, in certain times that I've lived my life. And, and I don't think that any of us are saying that we intentionally want God to be last place in our lives. But if we're completely honest when it comes to this area, the area of money or finances in our lives, we often see that God comes in last. So can I just say something? And can I say this in love? Because here's the thing, theologically and all throughout Scripture, let me just tell you, it never works when you put God last. It never works when you put God last. So with that being said, I want to show you something that Scripture teaches over and over and over. And the thing that Scripture teaches over and over is the very fact that God cannot bless any area of your life. Listen to me now, where he's not first. Did you hear me? That's, that's not just what we're talking about today. God cannot bless any area of your life where he's not first. And here's the thing. I want, I want you to hear me, and I just don't want you to hear me. I want you to understand this. It's not because God needs your money. I've already said it. It's already his. Now, whether you recognize that or not, that, that's between you and him. It's not your money. It's his money. He doesn't need your money. He owns everything that you have. The title to your car, the deed to your house, it's all his. But God wants your heart. And God knows that your heart and your dollars are connected. It's the very thing that Jesus was talking about when he said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And until we put God first in our finances, until God is a priority 
as it relates to the way that we handle our money, he'll never have first place in your heart. That's the reason why every time you get paid, God is giving you a test. Now think about that. Every time you get paid, God is giving you a test. And he's really asking the question, okay, here's the money, who are you going to put first? Here's the money, who are you going to thank? Now think about that. Because immediately, for some of us, we, we, we get the money, and you know what we do? We thank MasterCard. We don't thank God. We thank MasterCard. We thank Walmart. We thank, we thank Amazon. We thank uh, Middle Tennessee Electric or the city of Lebanon or our mortgage company first. We don't thank God. But ask yourself the question. Can MasterCard bless your finances? Can Amazon bless your finances? Can Walmart bless your finances if, if you give to them first? I mean, think about it. Amazon was a blessing over the last 17 months. But when you think about it, Walmart, Middle Tennessee Electric, City of Lebanon, Amazon, uh, Visa, MasterCard, none of those can bless you. Even though Amazon Prime might have been a blessing during the pandemic, the only person that has the power to bless your financial world is the very God of the universe. So what God did was God gave us a simple principle to make sure that he is the one who stays first as it relates to our finances. And that principle, listen, 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 that principle is called the principle of the tithe. That's the principle that God gave us. Tithing is bringing back to God the first 10% of our income. And believe me, I, listen, listen, you're not going to argue with me. You guys know me. Most of you in this room know me very well. I am the most laid back. I understand. Tithing takes a huge step of faith. Tithing almost requires a leap of faith. And knowing that, this morning what I want to do is I want to drill down really deep on three biblical principles that I believe these principles will not only help you, but I believe these things could be transformational as it relates to you and your life. Remember that just a minute ago I told you that every time you get paid, you're, you're, you're being given a test. And here's what's interesting. Look at principle number one. Tithing is the only place in Scripture that you and I are invited to test God. Now remember that the word tithe is connected to a, a mathematical amount of money, which means 10%. So, so if you make $1,000 this next week, what is the tithe going to be? How much is it going to be? $100. 10%. You make 1000 the tithe would be $100. 
And, and I've heard people, and I've actually seen people write on their checks any amount of money, and they put on their tithe. I've seen them go to the giving kiosk, and they'll put tithe. Again, I don't know what they make, so it's hard for me to see. But again, when I see somebody give, you know, $5 or $10, it's hard for me to believe that that's actually a tithe, and they're actually living on that amount of money. But I see people refer to anything they give as a tithe. But a tithe is literally 10%. And God himself says this in Malachi 3, verse 10. I want you to look at this with me. Look at what it says. He says this. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now look at what he says. The whole tithe. And then he says, test me. Bring that $100 out of that 1000 that we referred to just a moment ago. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, here's the thing. This is one of those verses that when you think about it, it makes you stop. Because, again, I was raised in the church. I've been in the church since I popped out of my mother. I've been there all the time. And I was always taught and instructed to do what? Not to test God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't test God except this area. Isn't that interesting? This one area, the area of tithing. So, so let's say that I make $5,000 a month. Here's what God's saying. God is saying that if you practice the principle of the tithe, if you bring the whole tithe, if it's $5,000 and, and 10% of $5,000 is what? 500. So what God is saying is this. He's saying that 4,500 with God is greater than $5,000 by yourself. That's what God is saying. $4,500 with God and God's blessing on the $4,500 is better than $5,000 on my own. Now let me tell you, take that to school and try to get your teacher to, to buy into that tomorrow. Because God knows that that doesn't make sense. God knows mathematically speaking that doesn't make sense. So this is one area where he comes straight to us and he says, try it. Test me. I mean, think about that. How profound is this that the very creator of the universe, the one who created you, would look at you and say, I dare you. I dare you to try me. I dare you. Do you trust me? So let's think about this. God is saying, test me. And I started to think, well, the number 10 has to be significant. I mean, I'm one of the, I've got a couple of friends, one of them's in here, and, and, and we're very into the, the numbers and what the numbers mean in Scripture. And so I started thinking about the number 10. And I started to discover that the number 10 is a very interesting number to study when you talk about studying things biblically. Do you know throughout Scripture what the number 10 represents? Throughout Scripture, the number 10 represents testing. I mean, think about it. How many plagues did God send to Pharaoh to try to soften his heart? There were 10. 
How many commandments did God give us on Mount Sinai? He gave us 10 to test our obedience. How many times did God test Israel while they were wandering around in the wilderness? He tested them 10 times. How many times was Daniel tested in the first book of Daniel? In every case, the answer is 10. And of course, Jesus had how many disciples? 12. I was just seeing if you were listening, okay? There you go. And nobody even raised their hand. I mean, nobody even threw their phone at me or anything. The number 10 is associated all throughout the Bible with testing, so that leads us to understand that tithing, bringing the tithe, is a test. And some of you say, wait, I'll take that test when I get more. That's what some of you think. I'll, I'll tithe when God blesses me a little more. I'll tithe when I get a little more. But see, that's not the point. The point is not for you to wait till you get more and then you start tithing. The point is this, do it now whether or not you believe you have enough. Do you have enough faith to test God now with however little or however much you might have? Let's look at a second principle. Principle number two, you can't give God a tithe. You can only bring it. God says that everything we have, everything that you have, everything that I have, it all came from him. But the first 10% belongs to him. As a matter of fact, Leviticus 27 verse 30 says this. It says, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, it's holy. The first 10% of everything you have is holy, and not just holy, it's set apart. And you may not have ever noticed this before, but the Bible, I may say this incorrectly every now and then, but the Bible never uses the word give when it's talking about the tithe. Whenever the Bible or Scripture is talking about tithe, it always uses the word bring. Just like Malachi said in verse 10 of chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now think about that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But here's the thing I want to ask you. If you keep something that belongs to somebody else, what do you call that? Stolen, right? If you keep something that belongs to somebody else, we call that stolen. That's why it says all throughout Scripture that withholding the tithe, the first 10% is actually, listen, it's like robbing God. So if God is not first, and you're actually robbing God by not giving Him the first 10%, then do you think God can bless that? Absolutely not. He can't. Now this morning, you, if you're here or listening or, or watching online and you're not a, a follower of Jesus, this doesn't matter to you. you. You actually don't have to pay attention or apply any of this to your life today. But if you're listening and watching and in this audience... 
If you're a follower of Jesus, then can I just ask you a simple question? What is keeping you from putting God first? What is it that's keeping you from putting God first? See, a lot of times when I, I, I talk about tithing, uh, people will try to argue with me and say, Randy, you, you know, that, that's, that's Old Testament. Tithing was a part of the law, but now we're under grace. You see, what they're, you see where they're kind of going? Like, it doesn't apply to us now. And here's the thing, if that's something that you've heard somebody say, or if that's a concept that you bought into, that, that tithing doesn't apply to followers of Jesus now because tithing was given under the law and now we're under, the, under grace, then here's the thing, I just want you to listen to me for just a minute. But I don't want you to just listen to me. I want you to think about this, and then when we leave here this afternoon, I want you to investigate it for yourself, because here's the thing. The first mention, listen to this. Some of you have never heard this. The first mention of tithing is actually made 500 years before God gave the law. Tithing was a principle before the law. It was affirmed under the law, and then Jesus came. So let me ask you, if Jesus told you right now to tithe, if Jesus instructed you directly right now in the New Testament, if Jesus told you, ask you to tithe, would you do it? Because he did. In two separate places, in Matthew and Luke. For instance, this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Look at what Jesus says. He says, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. And look at what Jesus says. You should tithe. Yes. But do not neglect. Now look at what he says, because you're not going to follow what he's saying here. But do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying that because you tithe, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. Because you tithe, don't think you're all high and mighty. What Jesus is really saying in that verse right there is he wants he, he, those who are his followers to understand. Tithing, li listen, listen. Tithing is the starting point. It's not the stopping point. And, and, and again, as I thought about this, I don't know if this will be helpful to you or not. But one of the things that I have found out in my life is that when I make something a priority in my life, I take an extra step. One of the things that I have understood is that when I prioritize something, I do everything I can within our culture right now to automate that. In other words, uh, at our last house, we, we had our house payment set up because it was a priority to us. We had it set up where it was automatically taken out of our account. I have not refinanced my newer house now, and I'm in the process of doing that, but that's the way that'll be done. It'll, come, it'll be a priority to me. So what I'm saying to you is this. What I have realized in my life is when there's something that's a priority, 
I do everything I can to make sure it happens. So priority means I automate it. And maybe for some of you this morning, we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a moment, maybe the way that you can make sure that the tithe is brought to God like you're supposed to, maybe the best thing that you can do is to automate that, set it up where it automatically happens. We have an app for that where you can set it and forget it. We're the Ron Popeil of churches, you understand? Because what you prioritize, you automate. I mean, when I used to work for Kroger, one of the first things that I did, I joined the credit union, and I was introduced to the opportunity that they could take money out of my check, and that money would go to my 401k, and they would match everything that I put in there. The good thing about that was that 401k, those savings were important to me. And by having it taken directly out of my check, I would never see it. And here's the thing. Again, we go to extra links. We automate those things that are important to us. And maybe that's what some of you need to do. You don't have to worry about it. You don't see it. It naturally comes out. You make $1,000, $100 goes out, and it goes to you know, the church of your choice, the church where you're being fed, the church where you're invested. And I say it that way because we have people from other churches watching online. Now, here's what I want to do now. I want to take you all the way back to what I believe is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. And it happens all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. And listen to this. It took place 2,500 years before the law was given. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And, and both Cain and Abel brought gifts to God. And God accepted Abel's gift. But he didn't accept Cain's gift. And therein lies the question. Now think about that. Both of them brought their gifts to God, but why did God accept Abel's gift and reject Cain's gift? Now think about that, and as you think about that, why did God accept one over the other? And as you're thinking about that, let's look at principle number three, because principle number three is important because it's actually found within this story. Principle number three is this, tithing is giving God my first and my best. And here's what I mean by that. If I have 10 $10 bills, how much is that? That's $100. 10 $10 bills is $100. So if I'm going to bring the tithe to the storehouse, then how much am I going to tithe? I'm going to tithe what? $10. So which of these $10 is the tithe? It's the first one. The tithe is the first one I spend. That's the tithe. $100, there's 10 of them. The tithe that I'm going to take to the storehouse, I'm going to bring it to the storehouse, is the first $10 I spend, and it's the 10% of 100 which is $10. But here's the temptation that you and I face. 
See, when we get paid, we, we have this money in our hand, and then we look at all the bills that we have, and we think about, oh, we've got to go to Sunset because they're not going to be open anymore in October, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give anything at the end of the month that I have left. Anything after all this has gone through, I'm going to give anything I have left to God. I'll give him a portion if I have enough. But here's the thing. That's not tithing. Tithing is not just the amount. Tithing is not just the amount I give, but listen to me this morning. I think we're going to have it on the screen behind me. It's not just the amount I give, but it's the order in which I give it. Tithing is not just the 10%. It's also the order in which I give it. God wants us to trust him with the first before we know if we're going to have enough. God wants you to trust him with the first. He wants you to bring that to him whether or not you're going to have anything left. He wants you to trust him. So now let's look and let's read the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, which means he had goats, cows, sheep, that kind of thing. And Cain worked the soil, which means he was like a farmer. He raised the crops. It says, in the course of time, Cain, now look at what it says, because the, the, the words are important. In, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, here's, here, let me stop here and let help you understand this. When you talk about the firstborn and you're dealing with animals, now listen. When you have sheep and goats and cows that are born, you don't necessarily know that that might be the only ones that are born that year. You don't necessarily know if there's going to be any more. And if there's not any more, then you know what might happen? If there's not any more, then your family might go hungry. You might go hungry. But Abel brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now let me ask you a question. Why did God not look with favor on the offering that Cain brought? Because it was some of. It was just some of his fruits. The reason that God looked with favor on Abel is because Abel brought the first. Now grab onto this. Abel brought the first and the best. And Cain brought the leftovers. Now listen. I'm going to tread out into something here that I'm going to tell you right up front, biblically, that I don't know that this is correct. But, but I want you to think with me. It could be, biblically speaking, that the offering that Cain brought was actually more than the offering that Abel brought. Did you hear me? Cain could have actually brought more than Abel did. 
But the Lord rejected what Cain brought and did not look with favor on it because it did not represent the first and it did not represent the best. And I understand exactly how this works. I have a little more freedom to speak in this service because my family's not in here. If you want to attend the R-rated version, this is it, okay? <laughs> not really. My whole family comes to the 830 service, and so I have to kind of temper it, you know, just a little bit. But my mother was an excellent cook. I mean, and she would cook a meal among meals on Sunday afternoon. Two meats, sometimes three. Six or seven vegetables. Cornbread, rolls, sweet tea, come on somebody, I mean, and a dessert or two. Does anybody have anybody in their family that cooks like that? I know Amy Armstead used to. I don't know if she still does, but I mean, she's a good cook. Woo. But anyway, it, I, mean, it's, I mean, it was a meal upon meals. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. If we were going to invite somebody to our house to eat, it was on Sunday, right? Because that was our first and that was our best. And we would bring our first and our best. And then what would we do on Monday and Tuesday? Eat leftovers. Now, see, here's the thing I want you to understand. I don't know anybody right now who invites family over or friends over to have the leftovers. Nobody cooks a big meal on Sunday and say, hey, this is just for us, and then we're going to have the friends over or the other people that we know on Monday to have leftovers. Nobody does that. Nobody does that at all. So it's easy to understand how God feels, where instead of putting him first like Abel did, we give him the leftovers like Cain. But God is always first, amen? And God is always best. That will never, ever change. So listen to me this morning because I want you to hear me. He can't accept anything from you except your first and your best. Now let me just say this. If it gets on your nerves that I'm talking about this, and I said this, and th today is evidence, especially in this service. I'm just going to go ahead and testify to those watching right now. I said two weeks ago, by the third week, there would be really low attendance. Because nobody likes to hear anything about this. Nobody wants me to talk about this. But let me tell you, I'm not going to avoid the difficult topics. And I said by the week three of this, it'd be really thin. Well, I know there's a football game today. I understand this. But here's the thing I want you to hear me say. I want to say this to you, those in the auditorium, those watching, those listening. If this gets on your nerves that I'm talking about this, then you just need to understand. That's Satan himself. Because Satan himself is trying to keep you from God's best in your life. Satan himself does not want you to accept the invitation and to live within the fence of God's favor. He doesn't want you to hear this because he doesn't want God's best for you when it comes to your life. So if it's getting on your nerves that I'm talking about this, then I need to say you're probably in bed with the devil. And I don't mean it that way, but you know what I'm saying? You're allowing him to speak into your life. Rebuke him in Jesus' name. 
Let's go back to the story. I might get Pentecostal here in just a moment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. I got my mind on Amy Armstead's food right now, and it's just got me all tore up. <laughs> then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, remember what I said a while ago, you're in bed with the devil. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, here's the thing I think God is doing. I think God, God is challenging some of us today and asking, would you step up and put me first? I think that's what God is doing with this message, with his word. He's challenging us. Would you step up and put me first? And I get it. It's a big step to put God first in this area of your life. I do. I really understand it. But here's the thing. There's a big takeaway from this message today. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you. If you don't hear anything else that I say going forward, or you've just toned me out or tuned me out up until this point, tune me back in because here's the thing I want you to take away. Here's the thing I want you to take with me. Here's the very thing you need to take with you when you leave this auditorium or you sign off online. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you got to understand. When you bring your first and your best, God makes you a promise that he's going to bless the rest. Isn't that good? When you bring your best and, your, and the first and the best, God promises to bless the rest. Again, this is the only place in Scripture where we're invited to test God. And I can tell you that from my personal experience, this is a place where I've been putting God to the test for many, many years. And let me tell you, every time I have put him to the test, he has proven faithful every time. See, when I think about God's faithfulness in this area, I want to give you something that you can understand. I'm drawn back to a time in the life of this church when we had just started. We started in 2006, November the 12th, 2006. And again, it took everything we could to get this church open. We borrowed church members from other churches to come fill volunteer roles until we got other people in those roles. We literally did that. We owed more money than we had when we actually opened this place up. There were lots of bills that were left unpaid. But I was smart enough to know... And I told the people who were doing the work, I mean, we're, we're in faith, we're stepping out in faith, believing God's going to do something, and, and God will provide. Because he had provided up until that point, but now we owed a big wad of money. It was six figures. So we started in November, November, December, January, February, March, March of that next year, 2007. I went to our leadership and some of the people who were in key positions, and I said, we've got to pray and ask God to provide an offering of $100,000. Now, let me tell you why that's so absurd, because every week we were bringing in about $1,500. And I asked our leadership and our key volunteers to pray. I didn't tell everybody that. I'm not going to tell everybody everything. But I said, I want you to pray that God will provide an offering of at least $100,000. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that some of those people who were in leadership 
I get it. I understand it. They, they agreed to pray, but they were laughing at me behind my back. Because when you're bringing in $1,500 and you need $100,000, it just doesn't make sense. We stood right back there by the cafe, and I said, we've got to pray. This is what we've got to pray for. March, we prayed. April, we prayed. May, we prayed. N nothing, 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 nothing. June, we prayed. And one day after the second service, the people who were in charge of counting the offering said, hey, can I get y'all to come back here? And it was the, kind of the same little group that I had asked in charge to pray and they said, I just want to make an announcement. And I was like, I had no idea what was about to be said. They said, three or four months ago, our fearless leader, talking about me, told us that we needed to pray for an offering of $100,000. And said, today, I want you to know that we have an offering of $106,000. I mean, it was absolutely absurd. But it happens supernaturally. And I'm going to tell you, it's a time like that that becomes the most spiritually stretching times of our lives. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart is. And can I just tell you something that I've learned? I've just learned, and you need to learn this too, God has a bigger shovel than you do. And the more we sow, the more we reap. I've tested God, and he has opened the floodgates of heaven in my life in so many ways. And I wonder, I wonder if it's not time for some of you to step out in faith and really trust God in the area of your money and the finances of your life. Because what God is doing, he's extending that invitation to you again. Step out. Step out in faith and then test him. And listen, he can be trusted. But you will never know that until you take that step of faith and you test him. And let me just tell you this morning, as your pastor, maybe your television pastor, your Facebook pastor, that's something I want for you. I want you to step out in faith and put God to the test and to trust him. But here's the thing. In the very moment that I say that, I have to say something else. And it's something that I've said many times before, but in different ways. If you think that these last two weeks and this third week is really about some kind of scam for Crossroads to try to get in your pockets and to get your money? If you think this is some kind of scam that Crossroads wants to take your money from you, then let me just tell you what I would rather you do. 100%. I would rather you go to the journey or to the bridge or to Emmanuel or to College Hills. Go there and serve there and tithe there. Rather than connect to crossroads and not give because you don't trust us. Because you don't trust our motives. See, that's how much I want this for you. I'll tell you, go somewhere else and tithe there if you don't trust me, if you don't trust our motives.
That's how much I want this for you. Because some of you have yet to experience any area of your life where you truly trust God. You have no area of your life where you're truly tr- where you're truly trusting God. Let me tell you, you've heard the sermons, you've listened to the stories, you've listened to other people tell their stories, you've read the verses. But sooner or later, there has to come a moment where you take a leap, you take a step of faith. And in that moment, you know what you're doing? You're taking a step toward the very thing that you fear. And you say, God, I'll trust you. I'll put you to the test. I'll take a tithe from the first and the best of what you've entrusted to me. And I will fully honor and worship you. And God, I'm going to do that with the heart of thanksgiving. And let me tell you, if you struggle with tithing, or maybe you give, and if you're really honest, it's, it's not a 10% tithe. Then I would encourage you this morning to put God to the test for the next three months. Do what I call a three-month tithe challenge. And bring the first and the best of what God has entrusted to you. Every time, automate it, make it happen, however you have to do it. Put God to the test. And here's the thing I'm going to ask you to do. If you put God to the test and you truly tithe, you bring your first and you bring your best. And after three months, you can't see God's faithfulness in your life in some way. Then you come back to me. And you and I will have a conversation about that. And maybe you're in this audience, maybe you're watching online. And you already tithe. You already give a 10% tithe. You bring that back to the storehouse. Then if you're already a tither, I want to challenge you to understand this morning, tithing is not the stopping point. It's the starting point. And I would encourage you, if you are a tither, to trust God above and beyond the tithe. Because you're going to see God the most when you trust Him beyond the tithe. I have every time. Listen to me because I do want you to hear this. You never give to get. That's the prosperity gospel. And I'm not a proponent of the prosperity gospel. You don't give to get. You give as an act of gratitude. You give as an act of thanksgiving. You give to a God who has given everything, including giving His only Son for you. See, here's the thing. When God finds someone that wants to filter their resources to the very things that he cares about the most, then you better hold on. Because the floodgates of heaven might just open up in your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Let me ask you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Over these last three weeks, what is God saying to you? Where do you need to trust Him? Where do you need to show Him in your life that He's first? Put Him first. 
put him to the test. Because when you put him to the test, the promise is this. The promise is that he will bless the rest. God, we take the time right now to humbly bow our heads before you. God, thanking you for everything that you've given us. Because the scripture tells us that every perfect gift comes from above. And whether or not we understand it, whether or not we accept it, everything that we own, the car we drive, the house we have, the the furniture, the clothes that are on our back, it's all yours. It's been given to us. It's been entrusted to us. The question is, will we bring our first and best and bring it back to you? Practicing the principle of the tithe knowing and understanding that when we do that you promise to bless the rest $4,500 is greater than $5,000 $4,500 is greater with God than $5,000 without God and God we want your hand and your blessing on everything that you've given us so we want to be obedient we want to be practicers of the principle of the tithe believing that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we had ever asked or think if we'll just be obedient in practicing what you've provided. God, we thank you for this time together. And God, my prayer is that these words are seeds that have landed on fertile soil and that they will take root in the hearts of your people. And they will see these not as a way for me to point my finger in their face and say, do this, but as a way to say, hey, I'm encouraging you. Step out towards the very thing that you fear and trust God because he can be trusted. As we ask this prayer this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.
the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand.